Welcome to Your Hell Yes Life, the podcast that celebrates women who are following their yes and living life on their own terms. I'm your host, Zaya B, best-selling author, artist, explorer, and cheerleader for women tossing should to the curb. With each episode, I'll bring you inspiring stories and practical tips from brave, bold women. So tune in, get ready, and let's trailblaze your hell yes life. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to have you with me for another episode of Your Hell Yes Life podcast. I'm Zaya B, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today, Joe Davis. Joe Davis is an internationally best-selling author, speaker, gifted intuitive, adventure addict, and the founder of Lift a Sister Up, an organization driven by the belief that our highest calling is to support and inspire other women to chase their dreams both personally and professionally. Joe is a highly gifted intuitive with over 150,000 followers and students. Believing that everyone has these powerful gifts, she shows ordinary people how to tap into their intuitive superpower through her course, Big Mess to Big Magic. Welcome, Joe Davis. Oh, I'm so excited to be here hearing those words. Welcome. I love it how technology just wants to be wackadoo right before we do these things. And we just threw caution to the wind and we're still showing up to to share this information. So thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Well, that's what Hell Yes is, right? Hell Yes is whatever shows up in front of you, you have to figure out what your next step is because mm-hmm. it's not going to be green lights every day. So mm-hmm. how do we entertain ourselves when we're at a red light? Personally, uh, as a side note, I actually just got myself a red nose, a clown nose to put on so that if I'm really stuck in traffic, I can entertain myself and those that are stuck around me. Life is too short. Have fun. Yeah. And actually, I wasn't even thinking of going here. But since I brought up play, Joe and I actually just recently met because we co-authored with 60 or so other amazing creatives, a book called The Creative Life Book. Immediately, it became an international bestseller. And it has just taken off. It is not a book about creativity just for artists. It's actually more like a personal development book and helping everybody tap into their creativity because it is a superpower that we all have. Everything that exists in your life, you've created for the most part. And interestingly, we were all invited into this experience and just told, share your best tip for creativity for everybody. And if you look at my write-up and Joe's, they're actually quite similar with a big focus on play. So Joe, can you tell us about creativity and what role it's played for you in your Hell Yes life? That's a great question. So for me, creativity has been extraordinarily healing. Me allowing myself the time and the opportunity to spend time in a creative space. I went through years ago, I had adrenal fatigue and it really kind of brought my world to a stop and it forced me to to step away from you know my corporate ideas it forced me to step away from you know trying to keep up with what other people were doing and accept every invitation every party or every event because i physically wasn't able to i was exhausted and so it brought me back to a very quiet space within myself where i was able to focus on things that brought me joy focus on things that that I felt like were healing, that weren't draining, that filled my cup. And for me, that was creativity. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, not that you were ill. I'm sorry that you were not well. It seems like you're fine now. I know that you're full of energy. Awesome. And I, you know, I've spoken to some other women about this and it's my experience as well, that it's sometimes when we don't hear those little nudges from the universe, 
I don't know, it gives us a body check. At least this is my experience is, you know, I feel like I've been body checked by the universe. And in the moment, it is most definitely not fun. But on the other side, I have a whole new life, a whole new perspective that just is something that I couldn't have imagined getting to without that body check. Actually, following on then, do you feel like after going through the adrenal fatigue, you know, how did your life change and what lesson did you take out of that? Well, it's really funny because when you don't take care of your body, you know, the universe will bring things to a screeching halt and, and filter and curate and make things disappear that didn't serve your highest good. So for me, it was a corporate job that I didn't belong in. It wasn't a good fit. And I kept forcing it for like 10 years. And so that kind of came out from under me. And then I really, really hit me because, you know, once it's kind of like when we took exams in high school, everybody would get sick over the Christmas holidays because they would push themselves and push themselves. And then they'd be like sleeping all over Christmas break. It was kind of like that. And so after, you know, losing my great corporate job, I was exhausted and I thought, how have I been functioning? And I, I said, I need to take better care of myself. And so that healing process for me was art photography and editing photos to look like art and you know, really honoring my space because I had a lot of people in my space that really didn't deserve to be there. They weren't serving my highest good. They they weren't my loudest cheerleaders. It was a very helpful, selfless, not in a good way person. And you know, you know, we know a lot of women like that. They bleed out for everybody. And when I couldn't do that anymore, it was a blessing. And so it allowed me the time and space and energy, which was a gift, to play and to get creative. And you know, I didn't even know what all the buttons on my camera did. What a blessing. I learned Photoshop and I learned how to turn things into how I saw them. Like I could, I could take a picture that, you, you know, would look super ordinary and nothing fabulous and I could turn it into art and the colors and the way I see the world. So it allowed the world to see things through my eyes and there weren't any rules. So I'm all about play without rules. I think that's what the, where most artists flourish is when there aren't any rules. And I am sure you can relate to that. Oh, yeah. Well, rules and I have not been friends for my entire life. You can ask my family. That's <laughs> been pretty much one of my main things of just pushing against anything that felt like a constraint and a rule is definitely a constraint. I want to talk to you about the art, but I also have a question before we go off in that direction. Since you talked about letting people go that were not a fit for you, I'm sure that there are a lot of women who on their path to living their hell yes life want to let go of some people that really don't feel good. They feel like an energy drain or they criticize you. They judge you. They get in your way. They just don't make you feel great and they don't lift you up. I'm just curious how those people left your life. Did you actually have a conversation? Did you just not pursue getting together anymore? What did you do? And do you have any thoughts for people that are in that situation where they need to let go of people and they're just not sure how to do it, especially people that are maybe close in their life, close friends or family? Well, a couple things. The first thing is it doesn't matter if you choose to let them go or not because it will happen. The universe will either, you'll be so sick, you can't keep showing up and giving and, and bleeding out for other people. Um, you physically aren't going to be able to. You will manifest some crazy illness because you're not filling your cup. See it all the time. Look at, look at nursing or teachers and the amount of people that have autoimmune diseases in those two fields. They're caregivers, of course. They're people pleasers, of course, and women especially. And then, you know, it's interesting when people invite, like, hey, I am having a party and 
I would love you to come and help out in the kitchen. And you're like, hmm, you're like doing that, that metric thing. I don't know. How does this feel on my body? Does the thought of going to do this bring me joy? Am I going to leave exhausted? Does this decision of me going to this party and helping out, does it serve my highest good? Am I honoring my body and my sacred space being around these people doing this thing? Does it bring me joy? And when you say no to that, it's real funny how the people that are really your people keep inviting you, but the people that aren't just naturally like fade away. It's very simple. When it's family, that's another level of personal spiritual growth. I apologize. I'm sorry. It just doesn't matter if I go home to visit my family. I'm not all enlightened and aware and woke. I'm a hot mess express and I'm I'm in a space of meditation and prayer as deeply as I can be interacting with those people. So family is another story. You could interview people all day long on that and techniques that people can use. But life has a way of like naturally curating things that serve your highest good when you make the commitment. For me, I have a mantra. I swear by it. I teach it to all my clients. When I first started doing it, I had it posted all over my house, in my car, on my laptop. I had a little label, everything. Nothing shall enter this sacred space that doesn't serve my highest good. And when I say nothing shine or the sacred space that doesn't serve my highest good, it's this little space and it's mine and it's precious and it's important and it's magical and not everybody deserves to be in that space and not everybody that wants to be in that space is, is in it to support and love me and show up for me too. And when I say that, it just sends this message out to the world. This is the memo. These, this is how this is going to work. And I'm also telling you, my angels, my guides, God, I don't care what you call it. I'm saying, can you please handle this shit show? Because <laughs> you're better at it than me. And I've been acting like I'm all that in a bag of chips for 40 some years. Like I got it all together and I don't. And, and I've been trying to fight the steering. I've been grabbing the steering wheel and, and there's all these wonderful things that want to come to me, but I've been insisted on having it my way and me being in control and it being under my conditions. And meanwhile, the universe is like, hey, Joe, we want you to be an international best-selling author. And I'm not hearing the message because I'm like, I'm going to have this corporate job and I'm going to get this next bonus. And I'm going to, like, that's where I was. And that was years ago, obviously, but, but that's what happens. So, you know, if you can create a mantra for yourself, that's like a prayer or promise to put your self-care first, then everything kind of falls by the wayside. And then it's really cool because it opens up time. It opens up this energy. It, it allows the universe to send you wonderful things. And for me, it was sending me time and it was sending me creativity and it was sending me permission to have this new experience in the creative part of my brain and my soul. So whenever people talk about wanting to do a new career or wanting to take up a hobby, you know, I really come back to that space of you know, make these decisions and make this promise to your heart that you're going to honor your sacred space through this new experience. Moms that say they don't have time to be creative or they don't have time to do things. I always have to stop and like read their energy and go, well, actually, you haven't put yourself very high up on the list. And that's why you're not able to do these other things because you haven't made yourself a priority. You're not loving yourself madly. Why is anybody else going to love you madly and honor your sacred space? They're not because you aren't. A long answer. Yeah. Well, but it was full of wisdom and experience. So we don't have time limits here. That's a rule. Why would we have that? You know, on the family thing, I will just add something in here. 
that it's also not necessarily just getting rid of people, but it's situation. So I adore my family and I love spending time with them. I don't like large gatherings. I tend to get overwhelmed with loud noise, with too much craziness. And I really enjoy deep one-on-one or small group connection. When it gets to be, again, like noise and crazy and surface level conversation, it feels really overwhelming to me. It's not interesting at all. And so several years ago, I was out of town right around Thanksgiving. I left town because of the wildfires and I was going to rush back for Thanksgiving. And I caught myself. I don't like Thanksgiving. I have not liked Thanksgiving for years. It's all this hubbub around the food and I'm not a foodie. Like I enjoy eating, but it's not my thing. And so I, you know, I always realized at the end of the night that I hadn't had a good deep conversation because it's either setting up the food, eating the food, cleaning the food. It was just crazy to me. And as I caught myself getting ready to rush back up, I thought, I don't want to go. You know what? I'm not going this year. And I told my family I wasn't going. And I ended up driving down to Death Valley and I had Thanksgiving dinner with the hotel owner and her son. And we went out ATV driving and it was so cool and so memorable. I have not been to a family Thanksgiving since, and that was several years ago. I've actually told them they don't even need to invite me anymore. I won't be insulted. And they said they will continue to invite me, but they understand that I won't come. I've said I will meet them before, the day before, the day after. They know that I love them, but I don't need to put myself into situations that drain me, that don't feel good, because then I'm also not contributing. If I'm just sitting there stressed out, what am I actually contributing to their experience? So... Yeah, there's the no of letting people disappear, and it's also the no of letting situations disappear. Yeah, it's sort of fine-tuning. It's like fine-tuning what's good for you, fine-tuning. For me, joy is a big thing. You know, like, does this bring me joy? Like, I have a friend this evening that wants to have dinner, and I'm like, I I don't typically say, yes, I'm in for anything. Mm. I usually will sit with it for a minute. How am I feeling? Do I feel rested? You know, do I feel like I have the energy to exert? Do I feel like the person I'm sitting with brings as much to the table as I do? Are we going to talk about fluff? Are we going to complain about our exes? I mean, what's the, what's, you know, I sit with it and I'm like, I mean, come on, if you had five years left on this planet, if I had five years left on this planet, I'd still be having this conversation with you. Oh, because it brings me, but it brings me joy. Like I don't screw around. Yeah. So that's every decision I make. Yeah, Every same decision. Same thing. I want to go back to your comment about control because I know this is definitely something that I have been focusing on and I, who knows, I may be focused on it the rest of my life. I don't think until a few years ago, I realized how much I try to have control over things and control just to clarify for people. It's not like I'm trying to control another person. It's trying to control things in my life. It's, okay, well, this should be here and I should get here at this time and this is how it's going to work out. And it just, it's a its a safety mechanism, right? It's a sense of if I'm in control, then I am safe. This is the, you know, again, this is not truth, but it is the patterning that I have bought into and the beliefs that I've bought into. And I'm actively trying to undo them. I've done plant journeys and therapy and journaling and all kinds of things and try to catch myself when I'm in that mode, even with, let's say, the podcast or my art. And I sense myself, I want this to happen. It's like, 
okay, I'm going to invite things to happen. I'm going to invite the right guests to show up at the right time. I'm going to invite the listeners in that need this message. But I'm curious, since you talked about letting go of control, what that journey has been like for you? Because I think that's a really important part of a hell yes life is trusting that the right things are going to happen in the right time. I think for a lot of people, we surrender control when we're hit with something so hard that we absolutely come to this this stopping point to where we go, I, I'm not in control and I really never have been. And this has all been fake. And the things that have worked out have worked out because they're meant to work out. And the things that didn't weren't meant to work out. So it, it's this illusion, like we think we've been in control this whole time. And I mean, I just, it, then when you start to sit in that space of like, you know, I surrender, I'm just going to go with the flow and make decisions based on joy. When you start getting in that magical dance, like this book falling in our laps, that's weird. And then I get on the book and I'm looking and there are people on there I deeply admire. And I've been like girlfriend stalking, you know, like sending them notes. Like, I love, I love your work, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my God, we'd be great friends. You know what I mean? Like, I just admire them and respect them as women. And then they're in the book and I'm like, I know you, I know you, I know mm. what is happening. That's just one example. There's way bigger, cooler things than that, that I've experienced. But once we crack open that, that, that window and we let in that fresh air of, okay, I'm just going to go with the flow. Usually that happens after something hard where we really recognize we were never in control to begin with. People can practice it and, you know, you can get there, but I'll tell you, you're going to get there quick if your spouse has a stroke. You're going to get there quick if one of your kids is violently ill. You're going to get there quick if you lose your corporate job and you have two, three months of salary saved and you're like, I'm going to end up living in the van down by the river. You know what I mean? You shift quickly through those, those events. But yeah, that surrender control thing is is a is definitely a faith factor. Like that's a faith factor. Like something else is going on. Surely there's something bigger than me. I mean, I don't care what people call it. I have clients that are every religion under the sun around the world. They all call it something different, but it all comes to that space of of love and resilience. And I definitely believe that that comes from something else. And our our space of being open to that something else and going. I don't know. I feel like, you know, maybe something else has got my back because I'm watching all these magical things kind of unfold and I couldn't have manifested that. Something else is going on. But but usually the fastest way to get there is something really awful, which unfortunately, as women in a trauma response, which is what control is because we've been through trauma. And so now we're going to be so prepared, Zaya, that no matter what happens, we're going to be ready before that other shoe drops. And we're just sitting there waiting. I mean, that's adrenal fatigue. That's a lot of illnesses. So it just cracks me up because, you know, you watch it unfold. And you know, you've had friends that are so uptight. They're helicopter moms. They're so intense. They're, they've got a plan and it needs to look this way. And you just sit there and you go, here it comes. Wait. Yeah. Wait. I mean, I've had it myself. Again, I've had a few, as I said, body checks by the universe to me, though, it's still a journey, right? I mean, I had it in the moment, like years ago during a, I had a business that was failing and I didn't want to go back to the corporate world. And I knew that financially I was going to end up going back to the corporate world. 
And I ended up the stress. I got Bell's palsy. So half my face was paralyzed. The day before that happened, I broke my toe. It turned out so badly that it basically smashed and I was in a boot up to my knee. It was a serious body check, you know, metaphorical body check where I learned to surrender. I learned to ask for help, all those things. I will say, though, that once I healed, I still have the lesson, but the pattern isn't totally gone. I still will need to catch myself. So I also want to put that out there for people that, yes, some people are blessed with, they get the lesson and it's just different. And then there are those of us that we get the lesson and we just keep showing up differently. And over time, you know, if we show up differently, we're not getting into control and we see that things continue to work out when we do surrender. Mm-hmm. It's easier, right? You know, it's if you that, keep that wave, you get all aware and then you go back to old habits and you get aware. But I just want to put it out there for people to realize that, you know, if you've had an aha and you realize that you're back in an old pattern, there's nothing wrong with you. I mean, you know, we've had these patterns for years and years. They can take a while to undo, especially these ones, as you said, trauma responses or survival patterns. If my body, my nervous system thinks that this is what is needed to keep me alive, it's going to take some effort to undo that, right? And so I'm just going to have to consciously keep showing up. I love that you said that. And I'm hearing that. (laughs) I'm taking that in and I'm grateful that you're you're saying this because I really feel that in my heart. It's a really good point. Thank you. So on a more fun note, since we are talking about Hell Yes Life, I know you have done some crazy Hell Yes things. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the skydiving? So yeah, I actually, after having kids, I really lost myself and I just didn't, I didn't feel alive. I felt like I was someone's mom, someone's wife, an employee. I felt like I really lost myself. Um, I had always been, I had done a jump, a tandem skydive when I was like 18 or 19 and I loved it and I craved it. Like I craved I, I've never felt so close to God. I've never felt so alive. I've never, even the inside of my brain was so quiet as that moment I jumped out of a plane. I felt like the world was more beautiful than I'd ever seen it. This peace came over me. I just can't even put it into words. You know, I was 18 or 19 and it took, you know, another 20 years or something to get back into it. And I, I started jumping and I, I felt like me. I felt powerful. I felt confident. I felt not alone. It was, it was just a, such a surreal experience for me when I took it up. And so, yeah, that was a, a courage thing. And I always tell people there's way scarier things than jumping out of an airplane, much scarier things, because it's not like you can crawl back in the plane. You're just there. So you have to own it. And there's a lot of other things that you can step into and then you step out of because you're scared. You step into and then you step out of because you're scared and you could swim in that mud for years and that's torture or you could just go through it. I think skydiving is a great example of you can't climb back in the plane. So just do it. And that's definitely a hell yes life situation. But yeah, it definitely opened up my heart. It made me more compassionate to over to other people. Typically, when people come to the drop zone, they were from all walks of life, people in different fields, people, people from different parts of the world, people I would have never met. So it opened my heart more. But as far as a hell yes life, I mean, I it's funny too with skydiving because the reason I kept skydiving was because it was always a little scary. And I thought if I kept doing it, I wouldn't be scared anymore. And I have very few skydives where I was like, I'm ready. I'm not scared. I mean like this many. For those of you listening, she's holding up five fingers. (laughs) I have like hundreds of skydives. 
but there were maybe wow. five that I was like so solid and felt so confident. And so there's just something about, you know, the first self-help book I ever read was Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffries. And that book changed my life because the whole premise of the book is not to oversimplify it, but was, but did you die? Mm. <laughs> so I should get my fanny pack. I have this, it says Pero Moriste on it, which is Spanish for did you die? Because my whole thing is anything you go through, did you die? No, you're here. It might've sucked. It was horrible. You wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it was traumatic, but did you die? So yeah, that was my, my skydiving experience. And I haven't jumped in a couple of years, but I miss it terribly. Do they have it down where you are? They do. I just don't know how comfortable. Yeah, fair enough. She's calling in from Mexico. So you need to make sure that there's some serious safety guidelines, not to say that there's anything wrong with Mexico, but say, at least when Spanish. you understand exactly, at least you understand the language, then you can ask the right questions. I'll be so. like, what? It'll be too yeah. Late. yeah, that it's, it's probably not worth the risk. Yeah. I mean, it's so beautiful to hear what your experience was and also to think about how unique all of our experiences are because I've skydived just once and I did not have that experience at all. It wasn't about the fear. The thing is I have a pretty big nose. And so, you know, you're not breathing through your mouth and yet the air is coming up at such a fast pace that I couldn't get the air back out, right? It's coming in. And since it's coming, you know, coming up so fast, I couldn't breathe out. And so then because of that, I really felt like I couldn't breathe until they finally opened the chute. So I was not enjoying it. I was like, I just want to breathe. When do I get to breathe? Yeah, and so it's... That's a good point. You almost have to push out the air. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I probably needed some more coaching or guidance or something like that. And again, maybe it's different for me because my nose is big. I don't know. But no. But it's so fascinating to hear that that was my experience. And I'm glad I did it. I have no regrets. It was a cool thing to try but that you ended up getting a sense of peace and openness and like, you know, it's a form of meditation I have never heard anyone talk about, but that's basically what it sounds like you experienced. Well, I'm ADD. So I usually have a million things in my head. Like right now I'm pushing things out of my head. Yeah. Like we're having a conversation and I'm like, did I move the laundry? Did I like for me to be present is like a real effort and it's a real act of love because like it really is like a, and so, you know, falling, you know, from 14,000 feet, you know, 120 miles an hour or more, you get real quiet. It's real quiet up there because yeah. all you can think about is, I don't know, not dying or whatever. <laughs> you know, you've got to prioritize and you have to put yourself first because you can't save other people in a free fall. Nobody's yeah. going to save you and you can't save other people. You have to put, I mean, it's an act of self-love in some crazy way. But yeah, I definitely feel that. Yeah, that's beautiful. I also, I haven't been diagnosed, but I think I have ADHD. It's, it's Focus is a really big challenge for me. And so thank you for focusing on us. And also just talking about the fact that, you know, we are, again, we are all different and we have different struggles and we're not aware of what someone else is. And yeah, and just focusing on a conversation or focusing on a task is challenging. I have so many classes that I sign up for because I'm fascinated. And then it I don't get to them because I'm focused on the next thing. And then it's the sense of overwhelm. And, you know, it is what it is. We can just kind of give ourselves a hug almost and accept, well, that's me again, right? We can obviously keep changing things, but there's also part of I am who I am. I'm going to love myself where I am and we'll see what tomorrow brings and not try to be, be different from a I need to be improving, right? Be different in a I don't enjoy showing up this way and I want to do something different. Fine. But as long as our evolution comes from love 
and expansion and not from self-judgment and criticism. I think it'll all be okay. Yeah. It'll all be okay. It always works out. Yeah, exactly. And the, people, and the people that are supposed to be at your party will be at your party. And the ones that aren't, won't. Yeah, well, now I want to throw a party for when you get back to town and have you over. We need some time in person. Or maybe I have to come down to Mexico. I haven't traveled you, yet this year. Just come visit. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. Yeah, I've heard amazing things about it. You're calling from San, San Miguel de Allende. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your organization, the Lift a Sister Up? So what's interesting about this organization actually started after I lost my great six-figure corporate job. And I thought all the people I worked with were my friends. I thought that the girl that I, you know, she was in a domestic situation. She moved out into a, you know, a one-room little little tiny, tiny apartment. And, you know, within a week and a half, I had found a bed for her and a dresser for her. And I was like, Joe to the rescue. Like people that I had thought I had loved on that were actually my friends and they weren't, they were just putting up with me mm. as their boss. You know, there was this, the boss thing. And so when I lost my job and they all sort of disappeared, I was like, oh my gosh, I invested in all these people. I thought they were my people. And, and what a blessing for that empty lull, that empty space for me to sit with myself and examine because if, if, you know, when I got real honest with myself, I realized that the reason why all those people vanished was because they weren't real relationships because I wasn't being real. Mm-hmm. I was loving on them and showing up for them and doing all this stuff because I could hear my mom's voice in my head going, give people the shirt off your back, mm-hmm. you know, kindness to get into heaven. I mean, like crazy twisted stuff that, you know, we're told as a kid to keep us in check and make us manageable. And what I learned from that, and it's funny, my first book that I co-authored, I was a contributing author for is Living Kindly. And all the profits go to a random act of kindness nonprofit organization, which I love. But my chapter was called Kindness is Badass. Because I learned through that experience that kindness isn't always warm and fuzzy and sweet. Doesn't taste like honey. Kindness can be sharp and direct and honest. And you can do it gently But when you show up in kindness, you don't care who's watching. You don't care if it's reciprocated from that person. You can do something amazing for another human and and just wash your hands and walk away and hand it over to the universe and say, maybe that'll come back to me. Maybe it won't. But the first thing is I did it because it brought me joy, period. And I would do it again every time because it filled my heart and I enjoyed it and I had the energy and I had the money and I had the time, whatever it is for you. So when I lost the six-figure job and all these people disappeared, I had this like epiphany. I kind of had some shitty people in my life because I was kind of being shitty to myself. I wasn't loving myself madly. I wasn't showing up at events or things or for other people because it brought me joy and it was kind to myself. I was showing up for the wrong reasons. I was expecting something in return. I was trying to prove I'm a good person. And I'll tell you, the, the, the minute you decide, I don't care if anyone thinks I'm a good mom, I don't give a crap if anyone thinks I'm a good person, you instantly become a better person. <laughs> because now you're like, I don't care. I'm just going to be this loving, kind human and try to do the right thing from a space of integrity. And I expect nothing in return. And so I love that expression. And it's like, you do you, boo. And I tell my clients, I'm like, you do you, boo. So when I had no friends and I was all alone, I'm sitting in my house and I'm like a couple months from having, you know, to move into a van down by the river or be a homeless person. And with my kids, I said, 
I've got to be this person first. I have to be kind to me first. I have to do what brings me joy. I have to be the kind of woman in my life for myself that I want in, in other friendships of other women in my girl tribe. And it was amazing. I, so I created Lift the Sister Up and all these like amazing people that were like high vibe, energy, frequency, raw, real gritty, beautiful souls started showing up in my life. And I wouldn't change a thing. It was horrifically painful. I can remember crying and be like, I have like no friends. And then I was like, oh yeah, because I'm not being a friend to myself first. I'm not eating good. I'm not sleeping right. And I'm, I don't have boundaries with people. Like I had to keep reminding myself in that process. But that's how that organization started. And you know, now I dedicate like a chunk of my day, pretty much Monday through Friday to doing nothing but supporting and encouraging other women. And in doing that, the most magical, crazy things have happened. It's mm. almost like, it's like volunteering, but your reciprocity, but you're just, it feels good. So it doesn't feel like work. And then I connect with people like you. And then I connect with people like all these phenomenal, just sweethearts that are, that are really out in the world trying to do good because it brings them joy and because it feels like the right thing to do. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of once you let go of trying to be a certain way, trying to be good, trying to be kind, and you just are, and you let your freak flag fly and you, you know, show up weird, show up crazy, show up mad, show up however you are, that all of a sudden it does become easier because then people can lean in and say, oh yeah, I was pissed off at that too, or I was crazy or yeah, my, you know. I'm Mm -hmm. tired. My hair is sticking up. Whatever it is, we've all had moments like whatever somebody else is going through. Not exactly, right? We all haven't experienced the same traumas, the same successes, but the underlying humanity of it, of having a challenge, having a success, having a bad day, having a happy day. We've had all of it. And when you show up as that, as just here's who I am today, then it's just much easier for somebody to lean in and connect. And it thins the herd very quickly. Yeah. Because other people that aren't uncomfortable in their hot mess, they're like, ooh, because they're going to they're be perfect. And, you know, they're all put together. And yeah, they don't do well when we show up really raw and authentic because it's a mirror and they don't like that. You know, what is it your, your bright light chases away and irritates other people's demons? Mm. Good. I'm not for everybody. And that's okay. That's all right. Yeah. They're missing out, but I've never heard that. That's an interesting... Interesting idea. So what are some of the ways that, you know, you say that like Monday to Friday, you're showing up for this organization and you're helping women. What are some of the things that you're doing within the organization? So I'm, I keep it really simple um, and anyone can do this and I highly recommend it. It will absolutely change your life. Monday through Friday, not usually I'm pretty consistent, but I've been doing this for years now, like six years or so, maybe longer. I don't even know. I spend about an hour a day, you know, so some people watch TV. Everybody has an hour a day. They say they don't, but they do. About an hour a day, either sending love notes to people or messaging them on Facebook or like someone, I'm an intuitive, so someone's face will pop in my head and I don't know why. I don't need to know the details, but I'll send them a love note and just be like, you're on my heart today. Your face popped into my head. I'm sending you encouragement. I don't know what's going on with you, but I just want to remind you, this is who you are and this is what you've accomplished, like whatever it is. Or you know, if I, if I see someone's post on social media and I'm not bleeding out for anybody. I'm having fun with it and um, just rolling with it, but I will I will just show up just like little love bombs, not in a toxic way, but in a playful way. 
And then also women that, that are starting new businesses. I'm really big about tagging people. I'm really big about referring people. I always joke that on my gravestone someday, it'll say Joe Davis, the connector. <laughs> and she brought snacks because I always get snacks. Yeah. I'm always like, I got snacks. What you need? Like I'm pulling it out like a, like the guy with the trench coat and the, you know, the watches I have snacks, but I like connecting people who need a thing. And I know someone that has a thing or I'm big on referrals. You know, if I work with a client and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to get you ready. Cause I'd love to see you work with this coach next, or I'd love to see you like, we're talking about this next book. I would love to see you be a part of this book. So, you know, we have people that, you know, they don't know how amazing they are. And they're like, well, I, I just, I don't know if I'm that good a writer. And I'm like, I think they're amazing, but they don't know. And so sometimes I volunteer time editing and things like that. But uh, yeah, just don't, just, just showing up for people. It feels good. And, and in doing that, I've had just some crazy, ridiculous, miraculous, serendipitous connections with other people. And I wouldn't want to be anyone else. And, and I feel like you shift into that space of, of generosity without expectations. Like, I really don't care. I don't even care if you say thank you. I don't care. It's not my business. Then your energy and your frequency shifts and it will attract a higher vibration, a higher frequency, a quality of people into your life. So, Wow. My whole, my heart feels like warm, mushy, like caramel. So like really sweet, but yummy. That was such a beautiful message and idea. To sit yeah. there and focus like that. I used to, Sunday nights used to be a time that I would focus on Kiva. I don't know if you know Kiva, it's microloans. And I would find women around the world and give small microloans. And it was, it's a small thing and it was only once a week, but it felt great to think that, you know, somebody in Zimbabwe can maybe start their business more easily. But I love the idea that what you're doing doesn't require money doesn't require a specific time. It could even be while you're standing in line at the supermarket. It could be, you know, while you're waiting for your child's soccer game to end, you have your phone there. You know that somebody was going through a hard time. Let me reach out right now. Not because to your point, not for the thank you, not for the credit, but just because we're all human. And why not? What's and, possible and for the other person when they get that extra exactly. piece of love? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then also too thinking, when you send a love note to someone or you you reach out to someone with encouragement, there's a good chance they might think you're a freaking weirdo because they've never received something so selfless and generous and kind and authentic and raw. But that's not your problem either. Yeah. It may <laughs> sink in and they they may change over time. They may realize how much that impacted them that they... I don't know, maybe start to say, I love you to family members that they didn't do it or who knows what they could do. Even if it's just a smile, right? It's the smallest thing could make a difference. You're having a hard day and somebody smiles at you. I mean, at the time I was talking about when I had the Bell's palsy. So I had a black patch on my eye, half my face paralyzed, a boot. I mean, I talk about a hot mess. <laughs> I looked bad. We call that the smackdown. You got the yeah. smackdown. Yeah. And there was a universal smackdown. And I was walking into the drugstore and a homeless man, I watched him. He was asking everybody in front of me for money and for help. And as I walked closer, he looked me up and down and he asked me how I was. And it struck me on a few notes. One was like, wow, I look that bad that he's not even going to bother to ask me for help. And the other was just so sweet. He just didn't care about his situation at that point, that he's on the street. He didn't have food. He didn't have money. He saw me and he knew that I needed some attention. And all these years later, it really stuck with me. So yeah, these little things make a big difference. 
And you may never know, and that's okay. Exactly. So another thing that I like to do on every episode is I think women are often told that we're supposed to be humble. We shouldn't brag. We shouldn't talk about the things that we've accomplished, who we are, any of our greatness, really, right? Just play along to your point, be a good girl, a good whatever. No, we're putting that to rest on this show. We are getting our brag on. And so I want you to talk now. You've talked about a lot of things that you've done that are wonderful, but I want you to pull out something specific that you would like to brag about and tell us something that you are proud of that you've done or who you are. Oh, wow. So so this is a biggie for moms. One of the things I'm most proud of is letting my kids be. Mm. Letting them be, letting them be a mess, letting them struggle, letting them rise, letting them shine, not being attached to their success or their failures. You know, they get straight A's, great. They call me, they need bail money, great. I mean, if I'm not attached to either of those things, then I'm not going to be triggered or emotionally respond. I can be in a, in a space of awareness and a space of calm, very level, and I can be a, a source of wisdom and, and, and help them. I read the book Dr. Shafali wrote called The Conscious Parent like 15 times. So that was helpful. Apparently I had a real struggle. I had, I had a lot of, you know, my parents' voice in my head and, and you know, they, they raised us a little different from, from not such a conscious space. And I think that's the, if, if, if I were to get hit by a truck tomorrow, I would say the most thing I'm most proud of is being a more conscious parent and loving my kids where they are and not molding them because they show up perfect and, and we're just guides and they're actually our teachers because that's why they trigger us. But I think that's the thing I'm most proud of. That's so wonderful. And I, you know, I obviously don't know your kids but I am sure it lands on them as such a gift. My dad actually has, I don't think ever told me what to do, even when I had a consulting business and he had had a consulting business and I wanted him to tell me what to do. I would have to specifically say, what would you do in this situation? He has never tried to change me. And it's such a calming, spacious feeling to just know that I am who I am. And, you know, I probably, again, contain myself in ways just based on, you know, I want to be the good girl, you know, back from what I did to myself as a kid. So I need to let those things go. But to know that he is not going to criticize, and I've done crazy things. I mean, I have tested them as parents for sure. As a child and as an adult, I don't follow the mainstream at all. I go travel to Africa by myself without a cell phone, things like that, that are extraordinarily stressful to parents. And he has never told me not to do it. He may ask me some questions. And so I'm sure that it has made a massive difference to your kids to to know that they're allowed to just be. So thank you as a citizen on earth here for letting loose two humans that are going to be healthy and able to contribute from that authentic place. Because yeah, it makes a difference. Humans. Yeah, three humans. I have a stepdaughter oh, too. So, okay. so yeah, I mean, she kind of snuck in there at the tail end, but yeah, yeah, it's important, really important. So we've talked a lot about different learnings, but I wonder if there's something you would want to summarize. If I say creating your hell yes life and continuing to create your hell yes life, what have you learned? What is the one thing that keeps you kind of continuing on or able to create your hell yes life? The courage to say yes, the courage to say no when we need to but even in little baby steps, 
we give ourselves some credit. Like you don't need to jump out of an airplane. It's kind of crazy. I mean, it's kind of crazy. You're jumping out of an airplane. (laughs) You don't need to move to Mexico where you don't speak any Spanish and learn Spanish. I think that the little baby steps are cumulative and they're just as important as the big one. Maybe, maybe more important because they add up. Exactly. Yeah. What a fantastic message that we all start somewhere and it doesn't have to be the huge things. That's one thing I want to focus on even with the hell yes life. I think some people think that means that you should run from corporate America and you need to travel the world. And, you know, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you do. But a hell yes life is unique to each of us. And if you want to sit and knit all day and that's your authentic joy, then sit and knit all day. So this has been such a joy. I've absolutely loved my time with you. I know that everybody listening has loved hearing more about you and your life and your lessons. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this discussion as much as I have. That's it for this episode of Your Hell Yes Life. I hope it inspired you to keep trailblazing your unique path. I have some fantastic episodes coming up. So don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. If you want to help spread the Hell Yes magic, please leave a rating and review there as well and share the podcast with your family and friends. Let's make this a movement. And remember, always be brave and true to your Hell Yes.